Martin Luther King 50 years ago said that he wants to live, his children to live, four children to live in a world where they are judged not by the uh, the colour of the skin, but the content of their character. 50 years later, we have effectively reversed that, right? Critical race theory is seeking to reverse that, okay, where they believe that a colourblind society is racist. We, if you don't acknowledge someone's, the, the colour of someone's skin, that is racism because someone, the colour of someone's skin, right, that is their identity. This is disgusting thinking. This is disgraceful. This needs to end now. It is, it is uh, we need to stand up at this as soon and as, as strongly as we can because it is dividing society and it is genuinely concerning. G'day and welcome to episode 36 of The Other Side Australia, the podcast and video show that brings you the news and views from a centre-right classical liberal perspective. I'm Damien Curry. This week, a little something different in the show. Uh, I'm in the interview studio this week, as you can tell, and uh, this week will be a full interview show. I opened the Australian newspaper on the weekend, on Saturday, and uh, I found this article by a Sydney ad executive named Sean Masters. Masters comes from a family of famous journalists and media people, and he's a self-confessed former lefty. He's the son of famed rugby league writer and coach Roy Masters, the nephew of award-winning ABC journalist Chris Masters, and is related also to Deb Masters, the EP of Australian Story on the ABC, and Sue Masters, who heads up drama at SBS. But Sean is very, very concerned about the rise of Marxist critical theory in Australia under the guise of woke, of being something good and kind and, and righteous when it is anything but. He begins his article for The Australian with the words, I've been building brands for 20 years and I've never seen anything like woke. It's a mistake to think of this dangerous ideology as just a bunch of disorganized radical students virtue signaling wherever the woke wind takes them. It's better to think of it as a highly sophisticated lifestyle brand. Well, I'm very pleased to say that uh, Sean Masters has agreed to join us uh, for an in-depth interview to discuss his article this week. Sean, thank you very much for taking this time out of your holiday to join us on the other side, Australia. Before we um, get into talking about the nature of woke and where we're at in Australia at the moment, could you just take us through your 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 thesis, your idea that woke is a brand and uh, and why all of this stuff really worries you so much? Yeah, sure. Um, look, I think the overarching point of the article that I'd like your listeners, uh, viewers to understand is that, um, yeah, this is uh, an ideology that has been uh, decades in the making. It has come out of uh, postmodernism um, thinking, which is bred, spawned from Marxist thinking, um, from the from the twenties um, through the sixties, uh, the, the last go they had at it was in the late eighties. Um, so this this ideology um, and the ideas that are that are behind work have been um, have been formulating for for a long long time. So that's so that's the core idea that I want people to understand, um, and it's not. It's a disparate group. Uh, there is no centralised command 
that it does have its leaders, um, but it is organised in that it has everything a brand uh, utilises to communicate its message from its iconography uh, to its taglines uh, to its hashtags, which need no explanation. Um, every element of this uh, is designed to uh, creep into our synapses and control the way we think just the way a brand does. And it's uh, not the brand woke as much as it's the brands that woke ideology informs, I well, guess, like BLM, uh, like um, Extinction Rebellion, that's that, that sort of uh, general thinking and positioning. Okay. So, I mean, there's a few different ways to, when you mention the word woke and, and brand and you align those two, there are a few different ways to take it. You know, a little uh, along the track in this discussion, we'll talk about the brands, the actual uh, commercial brands that have adopted woke. Um, but if you are to look at the brands within, with under the woke umbrella, as you say, Black Lives Matter, um, and of, of course, um, Antifa, um, both have a woke agenda at their heart. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, they, they have all the iconography and the symbols and, and, and um, uh, the taglines uh, that, that a fantastic brand has and in, the, in the instance of Black Lives Matter. You know, the, the, the beauty of that is you cannot, you cannot argue with Black Lives Matter. I mean, that is, oh. I mean, you just, you simply can't argue with it. And if you do, um, you are disemboweled publicly. Um, but both Antifa and Black Lives Matter have at their core this woke ideology, which is at its heart uh, very dangerous. You know, for example, um, if I could just spin off to a second to discuss what exactly this kind of ideology um, is underpinned by and why it's so dangerous. Um, your viewers may not have heard of something called critical race theory. Some will have and some won't have. Critical race theory is deeply, deeply disturbing. It's, it's extremely dangerous and it is dividing our society. It certainly has driven a wedge uh, through the heart of America, it's doing the same to England, um, and it's and it's it's deeply scary. And a, a lot of people are really worried about what it's doing to America. I mean, it, it is not overstating things to say that America is genuinely close to civil war. Uh, yeah, there is the the blue state and the red state, like it has never been apart from the civil war itself. Um, and you have got. And it is because of something like critical race theory that it is dividing the country. Critical race theory believes that racism is the norm. Critical race theory has it that racism is, is, is inescapable. Uh, it is in the air we breathe. It is, it is uh, in, in our institution. It's, it's woven the language. Uh, the, the critical race theorists believe that there cannot be a social interaction without racism being present. So the, the statement from these theorists, uh, like Robin D'Angelo, is uh, the question is not did ra racism take place, but how did racism manifest itself? So if you are, and here's an example that they use. 
Imagine you're a shopkeeper. <clears throat> yeah. This is the standard example that they use to explain critical race theory. You're a shopkeeper, you're out the back. Um, while you're at the black, uh, back, a black man walks in, a white man walks in. Then you walk out the front, you see a black man standing there, customer standing there, and a white customer standing there. Now, critical race theorists believe that if you serve the black man first, uh, you uh, either uh, do so because of some kind of uh, positive discrimination and therefore are inherently uh, racist, although in a positive way, but you're still racist, or alternatively, uh, you're so concerned that a black man is in your store that you want to serve him first and get him out. Or alternatively, you serve the uh, white man first, in which case you are just overtly racist. Now, I don't want to put you on the spot, Damien, but if imagine, imagine you are a shopkeeper and you are out the back and you then you walk out the front of the counter and you see two customers standing in front of you, what would you say? I'd say who got here first, I think. Yeah, yeah, of course. Right. Now, yeah. such is the uh, way this ideology is, has uh, manifested itself and crept into people's psyche that everyone just accepts this absurd analogy as going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I guess we yeah. are racist. So, yeah, yeah. so you've got... Well, it's also, and notice the, notice the, uh, the double bind psychologically that's set up there for the person uh, who, who's putting themselves in the shoes of the of the shopkeeper um, because, you, you know, you've got two options uh, and all of them lead to racism as according to people like Robin D'Angelo, who, who's, you know, behind all of this. Um, also, the other thing is, uh, the other thing that popped into my mind was, are we assuming that the shopkeeper is white? Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 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 So, hello, who's the racist, right? Yeah, it's, no, exactly. That whole backward thinking, you know, it's just... Yeah. It's obsession. It's an obsession in a cult-like, sick sort of way, isn't it? It's really yeah. It's it's dis it's disgraceful. So out of this spawns uh, a lot of thinking, which is the the concept of of um, of anti-racism. Um, you've got um, Ibram X Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, been on the New York Times bestseller list for months. Um, it, it it is not enough to be against racism you have to actively be anti-racist. So throughout your life, you need to constantly be aware of your own racism and you need to uh, work uh, against it. You're in, you're in, every inter in every interaction, you need to be aware of your racism and you need to actively uh, fight your own unconscious bias, right? So- but only if you're white, is that the implicit- And, and- and specifically, in fact, only if if you are white. Okay, so in schools throughout America, critical race. Do they have theory, a scale for that though, Sean? Because you know, yeah. I'm, a little, uh, I'm a bit of a. Well, yeah, no, the scale is the scale is white uh, white racist. White equals racist. That's the scale. Yeah. Um, any so shade of white. In 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 um, but yes, you don't know, no, and and you can see how the, this absurd ide ideology is starting to eat its own. So uh, there was an Indian woman who who went public saying that she was um, called uh, you know a, a brown racist. You know, so it's it's starting to creep out. But at its core, it it, it purports that if you are white, uh, you are racist because whiteness 
uh, is the norm. Whiteness is everywhere, and white mm. and white is therefore racist. So oh. it's just I can't even believe I'm saying these words, but this is what they believe. So so this has led to things. Sounds like they've never left America. Sorry, but it really yeah. it's like yeah. they're stuck in one. Talk about cultural blindness. I mean, I lived in Hong Kong for yeah. twenty years. <laughs> I'm sorry, but uh, white is not the majority on most of the planet. When you know you go to a diversity, inclusion, and, and equity. Uh, training, you think to yourself, okay, diversity, that sounds good. Inclusion, yeah, I like that. Equity sounds like fairness to me. It is not. This, this is, this is, this is, it's the opposite, okay? There, there are some deeply, dis- deeply disturbing ideology behind this. Uh, and it, critical race theory is one. Yeah, you've also got uh, an idea spinning out of this this postmodernist ideology is an uh, the idea of um, intersectionality, which relates to this hierarchy of oppression. So you've essentially got white um, heterosexual men at the top of this pyramid uh, of a hierarchy of oppression, and everyone else underneath that is oppressed. Um, and it re- relates directly to this concept of intersectionality, where that if we can unlock um, one um, uh, one intersecting um, uh, oppressed marginalised group, we can unlock all. So just imagine a Venn diagram of, say, uh, woman oppressed, uh, then black woman oppressed, then gay black woman oppressed, and then, uh, say, disabled gay black woman. Yeah, so if you can unlock that woman's oppression... That, that gay, black, disabled woman's oppression, um, then you, all, all um, oppressions uh, will, will magically unlock. And it just doesn't work because quite often these agendas uh, grind against each other. For example, you know, if you're to take trans, um, you know, it, it take trans and gay, for example. Yeah, you've got, you've got uh, on the one hand, um, yeah, you're born. I'm born trans. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm born trans. I was born a man, but I'm meant to be a woman. I'm born that way. Yet, yet at the same time, we're meant to be gender fluid. Can you? Oh, see you how could that you could drive work? a yeah. You could drive a Mack truck through the contradictions in, yeah, in yeah, some of the yeah. stuff. There's um, that, and there's also just the conflict between um, you know. Uh, some members of the feminist community and trans people and that that conflict that's going on and lesbian yeah. community and trans people and and, yeah. and when I was growing up and and we were you know I had I had gay friends and it was a time when we were you know trying to support them as heterosexuals to 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 have some rights when when they really were suffering yes abuse I mean you might remember the 80s and the 70s and all of that and and I think we were all pretty supportive of the gay community of uh, coming out and, and in those days and um, it, it, it was the message was born this way. That was the message. Now it's no, you can choose your gender, you can choose your yeah. sexuality, you can choose everything. Yeah. Um, which, which kind of it's the opposite of, of the whole the whole main message we had back then. I just want to ask you. I don't want to point out that in your article you do mention some of the thought leaders in America in this. Um, you've got uh, you mentioned Robin DeAngelo, and she wrote a book uh, called White Fragility. Uh, there's also Ibram X. Kendi, who's uh, obviously likes to, must be a fan of Malcolm X there. Uh, he, he, his book is How to Be an Anti-Racist. And uh, then there's an, uh, 
another woman by the, is it Tanahesi Coates? That's Between the World yeah. and Me. Yeah. Um, so these are the the books that that would be read by a lot of young people these days and would be heavily influencing uh, them. Be, there is a they are capitalizing on the sense of victimhood, right? Uh, this, everybody wants to be a victim. The more victim points you have in this hierarchy, the the more I guess cultural power you have in any given setting or interaction. Uh, this is not yeah. different to the class structure that Marx originally, you know, spoke about and that Marxists have used for, for decades to divide societies. I heard someone the other day mention that the division of class division isn't working because the traditional Marxist idea that capitalism is bad uh, and will naturally destroy itself didn't work. Capitalism evolved into a, a slightly fairer system um, and, and it's pulled a lot of people out of poverty, Free market economics has pulled a lot of people out of poverty and lifted the world um, and it actually enhanced equality. So they haven't got that anymore to divide us with. So to bring on their beloved revolution and all the change that they want to bring on, they need to create new divisions and they're using critical theory, critical race theory, critical gender theory, all of that stuff to, to do it. Um, so is your understanding that the agenda behind this, and you probably understand this a lot better than I do, but the agenda behind it what, I mean, the question is, why are they doing it? Why the, why the desire to create so much division? Um, so you're quite right in what you say. Um, you know, around the, the 1920s, the, the communists were, were um, uh, in deep states of depression because they could see that communism in, its, in, its, in the form of, of Lenin and Marxist being, you know, workers unite, uh, was not going to work. So as it evolved through Foucault and Derrida and the postmodernist schools that I've, I've mentioned. So these um, are the academics and the philosophers yes, that came yeah, out of um, yeah, that. Yeah, the Frankfurt Foucault is the, is the, is the grand master. Foucault is, the, is, uh, is Dr. Evil. Um, <laughs> um, the, and they, look, the, the, the postmodernists are quite overt in their writing where they say very publicly uh, that... that um, to unite the workers, that did not work. What we now need to do to get in power is to um, speak to the marginalised, speak to the minorities, and our next great war will be a culture war, okay? And, and that's what we're in right now. So in the 1920s, they said that. It, it evolved from the 1920s. That, that's, oh, that's, okay. that, that's, that's, when it's, that's when the understanding that communism in its typical form where you uh, unite the workers was not going to work and as it evolved, right. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it, they're, they're, quite, they're, they're quite overt about wanting to gain power. So I guess the, the, guess the most difficult question of all is, is, is why and, and who, yeah. you know, uh, and this is a question that, that everyone's sort of wrestling with. Um, and the consensus is that, that, you know, ideas are like viruses, you know, um, and, and people, people want something to believe in. Um, people want to be behind a great movement. You know, people, people want um, to change um, inequality when they see it. Um, but those... Um, core ideas of, of the ostensibly good uh, have been subverted 
in, in a very dangerous way. So these mind viruses, these ideas have crept into uh, academics, uh, the academic, I mean, I think the latest statistics show that uh, over 90% of professors um, in, in America are, are left-leaning. Um, wow. So this, 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 um, this ideology is just swept through uh, academic professions. Um, and then it gets into HR. Then it gets into corporations. Um, and, that is, and then it's backed by you know, what is referred to as the, the useful idiots quite brutally. But it's a, it's a, it's a, I mentioned in the article you know, this has been manifesting for quite some time, but the, the 2008 financial crisis left uh, a, a, a disillusioned generation that w- knew they would find it very difficult to, to buy a home. And, and you know, why should they buy into the capitalist uh, ideal, you know? Uh, and, and that at the same time, um, in society right now, we are experiencing a religion-shaped hole that politics is filling. Now, whether you are or are not religious, um, it, it must be stated that it is it's at least something to believe in. And the human condition requires something to believe in. You, you, you want a grand narrative out of life. Well, this is something to believe in. The, the, the postmodernists are telling these young kids that here's something very simple to believe in, um, and it will uh, change all inequality uh, and everyone will be happier and we will live in a, a wonderful utopia. Well, life just doesn't work like that. And once you upset, you know, 500 years of liberal thinking, uh, of, of, of liberalism with, with its ideals in um, the, the sovereignty of the individual, free speech, um, you know, the concept of truth, uh, you know the, the belief that, that, that in in truth, which all three things these the, the this ideology does not believe in, um, so the world starts to spin on its axis, um, and and you can see the, and you can see the divide take place. You know society changes gradually, you know, and as Douglas Murray says in um, the Madness of Crowds, you know, it, it's like we were uh, in a train pulling into a station. You know where every where we where we're about to reach the ideal, you know, and and all of a sudden this woke ideology came along in about 2013, and the, the train suddenly picked up speed, careered off down the tracks, uh, and and uh, is now you know, sped off and and and, and crashed. Yeah, and it's tragic. That's, that's that's essentially. I mean, change takes time, but for, yeah. for the young generation, that they they want to do it now. You know. But also, I think this has been creeping in for quite some time. I mean, you mentioned the last time they tried it was in the late 80s. I was aware of the 60s, of course. Yeah. But what happened um, in that late 80s period? There was, there was a strong postmodernist agenda. Um, that, was, that, that was our, our, we would have been, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, I went to university in 1989 and that's when it struck. That's when it struck, yeah. It took yeah. about six years to subside. Um, uh, but this time, this, this is a different beast. And there's a lot of uh, very smart people very concerned about this. I mean, you know, I, I wrote that article because I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned about Australia. I've been monitoring closely what's happening in, in England and, and, and the States. And look, it, it hasn't hit our shores as strongly, but it's coming. 
um, you know, there was a moment, um, uh, it was a few months ago now, about three months ago, where uh, Michael McCormack, the, the acting prime minister at the time, said that we shouldn't be saying uh, black lives matter, we should be saying all lives matter. And Chris Bowen, the uh, opposition health minister, uh, replied by saying uh, that to diminish Black Lives Matter and say that all lives matter is beyond disgusting. Wow. Right, so just let that sink in for mm. a second. To say that, now I'm paraphrasing perhaps unfairly, but I will paraphrase, to say that all lives matter is beyond disgusting. Right, now... That is the politicisation and the racialization of human life itself. Um, and you can see a divide right there between Liberal and Labor, where Liberal are saying, no, we reject this work ideology, uh, all lives matter. And you've got Labor, media advisors, whoever, political advisors, whoever's behind them, saying, no, no, we're going to embrace the, the work ideology. Well, they've just lost an election massively, a by-election massively in New South Wales State um, in, the, in the North Hunter by-election, where 82% of the people who voted voted for coal jobs. Uh, and that's kind of a little bit of a barometer on woke uh, culture because the, the Labor Party is wrestling with this split in the party at the moment between the inner city woke left and the traditional working class, which conservative parties all around the world have managed to take on that working class. When Boris Johnson beat um, uh, his opponent back in 2018, late 2018, and it was another surprise, surprise win, I wrote a piece on LinkedIn about the danger of marketers and public relations people and HR people uh, embracing woke too readily and lining themselves up with this ideology that really uh, is not necessarily... Uh, embraced by more than half the population, um, that, 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 you know, we live in a very politically divided uh, world and it's in the West and it's very, very dangerous for a brand or a company or a business or a, even a political party to align itself too heavily with one political agenda. And so it sort of turned on its head all of the traditional corporate social responsibility marketing that we've been doing and the, uh, you know, the sustainability stuff that's come through. But we see so many corporations now, Sean, who are trying to outwoke each other, um, both in terms of their internal communications, trying to attract staff. Um, but I keep reminding people that you could be turning away as many people as you're attracting by having, uh, you know, such a predominantly gender-focused or, um, you know, sexuality-focused campaigns running in your in your HR departments you might be offending some of your more, particularly in the Asia-Pacific region, you might be offending some of your more conservative constituents, yeah. uh, your more religious constituents, and not everybody even, you know, who's, who's very embracing and open to liberty and human sexuality and freedom and whatever, not even, even people like that, uh, which I would include myself in. Uh, I don't want government telling people what they can and can't do in their bedrooms. Thank you very much. Um, but even I don't feel comfortable with some of the uh, amplification of focus that's put on on these things. And uh, I just wonder whether work should be a place where we, you know, where we do the job at hand and we operate, run the yeah. business rather than somewhere yeah. where we bring our ideology. And they talk about bringing your whole self to work. I don't know. 
I don't know if I want my staff bringing their whole selves to work every day. I'd rather just have the bit of you that focuses on work. And I'd love you to have a life outside work that you don't bring to work, you know. Because work is work. Yeah. Well, it's supposed um, to be, yeah. Uh, now, look, look, there's a number of um, points you've raised there. I, I guess with regards to, to work infesting corporations, yeah, there's, there's a number of concerns. One is... Um, if you take the, the broader the broader view of it, you know, my my biggest concern is the is the hypocritical and and insidious and um, unhelpful way uh, that brands are, are utilising uh, woke to actually uh, be monsters behind the scenes. So you know they'll have these woke uh, campaigns, gender diverse campaigns. Um, but, you know, in the case of Nike, you know, they'll use the Uyghur workers of, from China, you know, um, or in the case of Amazon, they'll pay their workers a pittance, uh, or in the case of Apple, they'll risk their workers jumping off uh, the building and killing themselves in order to make their product cheaply and quickly. Yet the public face of these brands is woke, woke, woke. And it's simply like the brand saying very cynically, very insidiously saying, um, look at us, we've done the right thing. Leave us alone. Go and hassle someone else. We're woke, we're on your side. You know, d- you know we don't want to cop any backlash. Yeah, so that's virtue sort of, signaling that's sort of out of fear, right? Virtue signaling fear of out, getting of fear, that. out of fear, yeah. So that's, so that's sort of one, one um, part of it. Um, another part is um, all the research is pointing to the fact that um, any company that uh, em- embraces woke ends up with a workforce that is deeply divided, far more than it was um, before this unconscious bias training, which everyone seems to undergo. Um, and I, and part of this again is wound up in critical race theory, where um, you have this unconscious bias where um, you, you uh, clearly prefer your own race and you clearly uh, are racist against anyone who's not your race if you're white. Um, now, the, the makers of the, of the uh, unconscious bias test wrote an article saying that pleading with companies to stop using it as an example because it was unproven, its results could not be proven and should not be thrust into the workplace. Yet it is being uh, un, it is being unfurled throughout the Western world in almost every corporation and it is driving everyone insane and it is making everyone racist. Um, Can I just add to that, uh, Sean, the unconscious bias test and this idea that we're all we all have this racism in us—it's um, a well-known principle and has been a well-known principle for a long time in communications that we are—we prefer people who look and sound like we do in communication. We're more likely to trust. We're more likely to uh, accept what the person is saying. Uh, we're more likely to, uh, uh, you know, be persuaded by that person if they look and sound like us. And the psychologists in communication, and that's just, just a fact, right? So where does this come from? Well, psychologists say that it possibly comes from 
our evolution and our survival over the over history, because uh, the when someone looked and sounded different to you, they were from another tribe. And if someone comes from the other tribe, um, you're not sure whether or not to trust them until you've you, know, you have to be a little bit cautious about them um, until you can say, okay, well they're they're safe. They're not going to throw a spear at me. Um, they come in peace, and and the other tribes would go out of their way to you know, give the universal thing, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm here and I come in peace and I have no weapon in my hands, open stance. They say that we have white teeth so that, you know, you can see somebody smiling from further away than you could throw a spear. So there's all these things in anthropology. We can see the and, whites of our eyes. Yeah, the whites of our, right. So yeah. we can signal each other that I come in peace. But the other party always accepted that, you know, if I'm going to go and visit the other tribe, and when in Rome, do as the Romans do. When I go and visit the other tribe, I need to signal very clearly that I come in peace by showing my similarities visually and in the way that I sound. And this has been core to communications theory since the late 1970s, this idea that how you look and sound is the first thing that people are going to be judging. And that intelligence that people use, even though it's a split second, if you read Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, about you know the speed of that emotional and social intelligence, and we're finding out so much more about emotional and social intelligence now. It's quite fascinating. But all of that stuff is part of our innate intelligence, and it comes from our learned past experiences. It may even come from our genes and, and, and DNA from generations. But it's certainly not something to be just dismissed as wrong and racist. Uh, it's, it's a critical part of how we, got, how we stayed alive and how we evolved to where we are today. And it's not saying don't, don't make friends with the other tribe. It's just saying... Be careful because, you know, they, they're not part of this tribe, uh, but make friends if you can, you know. It's, it's, abs it's absolute sociological fact that has been proven time after time that people prefer uh, their own tribe, as you say, um, members of their own race, okay? And that certainly it, does it, mean it, that for it, hiring... It, it, and I think the critical race training, not the critical race training, sorry, the uh, unconscious bias thing is important to be aware of if you're a hiring manager, right? Yeah, you want to yeah make no, sure that's true. That is true. No, no, especially in Hong true. Kong where we would, you know, another Australian would walk in and I'd be obviously biased to wanting to hire them um, because they spoke like me, we're related, you know, they, it, it was, but you have to check yourself and say, well, hang on a minute, you know, I'm running a business here in, in Hong Kong. I need to hire uh, the appropriate um, well, well, I, I think, I think you know, I think th the point that needs to be made is that just because you prefer someone um, or sociological uh, research indicates that we prefer people of our own race does not mean that you are racist. It does no. not mean you have a malevolent heart. There is a... a hilarious musical uh which is a sort of piss take on the muppets called avenue q and it has a wonderful song in it that says um it, it's 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 chorus is wouldn't the world be a little bit better if everyone wouldn't the world be a better place if everyone just admitted they were a little bit racist and you know you know just just because you know you you might prefer your own tribe doesn't make you a a, a monster like which no. is is which is the way that this critical race theory is interpreting it. You know, I mean, we just, I want to make this point. A, a lot of um, the, the, the left, um, certainly in Australia, can't quite understand why uh, 
Trump was voted in in 2016 and was very nearly voted in recently. And if it wasn't for COVID, he probably would have been. Well, here's the reason. Critical race theory is being taught throughout American schools. Children as young as six are being told, white children are being told that they are racist and they need to apologise for their racism and atone for their racism by dint purely of their skin. And, and the, the, the middle American white parents have, have just had enough of this, right? So, so the first thing that Trump did when he got, uh, well, well uh, one of the things he did towards, I should say, towards the end of his, his um, presidential uh, time was in office was um, do a presidential decree to, to get rid of critical race theory. Now, the, the, in his first day in office, Biden overturned that presidential decree, right? Right. So, so you can so you can see just how how um, divided the company the country is. Yeah. yeah. It it brings me back. I mean, I, we've we've seen cases in Melbourne, two cases in Melbourne, unbelievably, not just one, but two cases of young men being forced to stand up at school and and you know explain why they feel bad about being white. Um, which I think is child abuse, and I, I would be locking the people up that are doing that if I was <laughs> running the place. But anyway, um, uh, I, I would just I, I, it brings me back to that core idea, uh, Sean, of what, why, you know, who's behind this? What are they trying? It's obviously about power, right? It's about, about power. That power. is the answer. Yeah. But what's the ultimate goal here? I mean, they're trying to set up. Um, they you know, they a, want. They want this woke utopia. They believe in this woke utopia. They believe that if everyone just did as they told us to do, um, then we will end up in this this woke utopia and everything will just be perfect. There will be but how, how dumb are these people? Complete, they're not really complete equity. Um, there yeah. will be com- total diversity. You know, and if you read any any economics, I mean, read you know, Thomas Sowell, um, who shouldn't matter, but he does happen to be a black professor. Um, and he, he's been talking about this for 50 years, that equity just simply doesn't work. You know, I mean, the, 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 the woke ideologists want, um, for example, at Google, uh, they want, and you, are you aware of James Damore? You heard of that name before? James Damore was a, no. um, an engineer at Google. Now, Google. Oh yes, the letter, the email. Yeah, Google. Yeah. Google uh, are absolutely gung ho on insisting that, um, given uh, the demands of equity, there are fifty percent women in the population. There need to be therefore fifty percent engineers at Google. Now, here's the reality: women aren't interested, on the whole, aren't interested in tech. Women are interested. I mean, the the standard comment here is is uh, or the standard sort of sociological, psychological shortcut is men are interested in things, women are interested in people. So women are interested in humanities and and, uh, medical fields and um, ideas surrounding people like publications and the media. And women are uh, kicking ass in these fields. Women are dominating in these fields. But when it comes to things like engineering and the STEM fields and and tech and certainly uh, playing with algorithms, algorithms, women aren't that interested. And it comes down to the big five personality um, factors, which women just, it just doesn't point towards women being interested in tech. But, yeah, and yeah. James Damore wrote an article which, which um, 
pointed this out and was and was fired um, immediately. You know, so what you have, so what's happening is, and this relates to Thomas Sowell uh, and and the enormous literature he's he's um, pointed, he's generated over the years, um, indicating that equity doesn't work. Essentially, you are forcing people into positions they don't really want, and you are making the rest of the workforce resent them. Um, you know, and, and and in fact, it's leading to anti. Uh, it's leading to it's leading to racism directly. I mean, you've got uh, in Harvard uh, last year there was a class action uh, from the Asian population um, because Harvard had to admit that they were fudging the um, entrance, the applications um, based on based on race. Uh, yeah. Because Asian students were just killing it with regards to their um, exams, um, so essentially, person then they invented these personality questionnaires, and if you had an Asian-sounding last name, you were almost immediately struck off. So, yeah. uh, and there's a class action against. But against, I mean, I, what, against what Harvard had to admit it. What? Why? What? You see, that's racist. People right? not. These are supposed to be intelligent people, as you said. I mean, these are our academics. These are the people who... I, I never who, said that professors were meant to be intelligent. And no, not. fair enough. But but I think we were talking about, you know, the, the intelligentsia of society or people yes. who traditionally would have been thought of as being quite smart. Yeah. Have they not read 1984? Have they not read Animal Farm? Do they not look at, like, George Orwell and Brave New World from Aldous Huxley and say, gee, uh, or even, you know, The Crucible, The Witch Hunt, um, yeah. Uh, play. Well, see, every every Are they not every, really going, making the connections. I mean, what's well, going on? We've just got every, stupid people out there or teaching. Every generation of, of radicals sort of sort of thinks thinks that if it was just them who could be in charge, they'd they'd be okay. Yeah, that they they're the ones who who would sort it all out. But they're not. But once there's a power vacuum, um, it leaves it open to a malevolent force coming in underneath them, right? So what is that ostensibly woke, um, loving uh, group in power going to do when, a male- when there's a power vacuum and a malevolent force comes in underneath them? What are they going to do? Are they going to pick up guns? No, right? So, and that leaves a power, and that, that is how totalitarian regimes um, uh, emerge, you know? And, and because in the woke, in the woke ideology, it's, it's um, you know uh, diversity, inclusion, equity, um, which we achieve complete social equality. Something happens, utopia, and it's in that something happening area mm. where malevolent forces can take place. And this is why we need to return to liberal uh, liberalism. This is where we need to return to what has worked. Sl- Society was slowly getting rid of racism. I mean, we were we're less racist than we were ten years ago. We're less racist than we were ten years before that. We're less racist than we were ten years before that. We're getting better and better and better. You know, uh, but society is now are, moving. Yeah. Society is now moving to. And I just, I, 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 we haven't made clear that, of course, racism is bad. Of course, sexism. I mean, these things go. We, we haven't even mentioned that between us because it goes without saying. Yeah, yeah. it does now. I mean, yeah. it used to. Well, no, and I no, remember no. when you know when I was younger. Again, you know, we were we were campaigning for 
real social justice for people who were really discriminated against. And 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 I I used to consider myself a bit of a lefty, um, well, centre left. Um, always had the entrepreneurial streak. Always liked the free market. Um, learned economics and shifted a little bit. But I say I went away from Australia twenty years ago. Uh, on the centre left, and I came back on the centre right, and I didn't move that much. The country did, yeah. And that concerns me a, a lot. We have no respect for where where we came from. All the kids just take the the history for granted, all the freedoms that they have today for granted, as if they came out of nothing or came out of nowhere, or it's the standard for the world. Game of Thrones is standard for the world. That's the default, right? That we have the freedom we have, and we have the liberty we have, and we have the societies that function the way they do is the result of hundreds and hundreds of years of of liberal thought and evolution and we're not teaching this in school we're not teaching yeah. kids to value it right yeah yeah so you know you, you've got you've got uh, this this phrase you often hear that which is you know, every generation needs to um fight for freedom of speech well this this generation isn't valuing their freedom of speech and, and they're certainly not fighting for it um, and they are they are willingly uh, complicitly um, allowing speech to be uh, to be messed with. Um, you know, mm. I mean, like, and and this is this is the other thing. Um, but the more you read into this, the more frightened you become because um, every totalitarian regime, the first thing they do is they start changing with and controlling speech, language, and, and, and the written word, right? Um, mm. And it, Because if you can change the way someone speaks or writes, you can change the way they think, and then you can control them, right? Uh, so, you know, a friend of mine started a, a, a job with the government working in, I think, the, the health department, she underwent her diversity, inclusion, equity training, and that included the fact that you are no longer allowed to use the pronoun him, her, he, or she. You have to use the pro pronoun they. Now, that is a grotesque manipulation of the language that is nonsensical because it is a plural, right? So you can see how um, they're literally changing the language and and this is this is a deep concern and and it was of course jordan peterson who, who i imagine everyone's heard of um that really flagged this issue in 2018 where he publicly stated that um he uh went against bill c16 which was a bill uh due to be passed which now has passed it flew through canadian parliament um uh, unanimously, um, that uh, stated that you have to refer to a transgen transgender person by the pronoun of their choice. Now, Jordan Peterson rejected against, uh, reacted against this because that is a direct um, incursion into our freedom of speech, right? That is that is by law making you say something, right? Mm. Now, of course, the left turned this into a transphobic debate, which it never was. It's a freedom of speech debate, right? So we need to stick up for our freedom of speech and we need to, we need to take back the language because it is, it is being controlled and it is being controlled um, in order for these 
uh, post-modernists to gain power. And I know that's difficult to wrap your head around, but that's, but that's what's happening. Um, there are, they've got a whole bunch of foot soldiers out there who desperately want something to believe in. They, a lot of them think they're doing the right thing, but a lot of them are enjoying the power. A lot of them are enjoying the uh, being part of a hit squad on Twitter where they cancel someone who says the wrong thing. A lot of them enjoy signing uh, whatever petition it is to get a, a company to change the, the name of their product. You know, this is about power, and, and you can and you can see, you know, you can you can see it in the delight people take when they take down someone when they have someone cancelled. So yeah, I want to get on to sort of you know where we go from here in terms of fighting this. But before we do that, I just want to come back to your point in your article about how dangerous this is by drawing a parallel to early last century. Uh, you talked about that that little gap where uh, malevolent actors can come in. Um, you know, when we're transitioning from the, you know, they get they get the sort of uh, world that they want. Um, now we just need to take that extra step uh, and get the government that we want, uh, and then we can control everything. And it's in that that transitional phase that you find malevolent actors taking advantage of, right. of this stuff. So, I mean, this is parallel to um, Stalin, Mao. Hitler, I mean, all of these people manipulated the environment they were in using the tools of propaganda and branding and slogans and cults and uniforms and design and logos and everything um, to create a new psychology almost. Um, and that led to people willingly transferring their power to the state, the state becoming bigger and bigger and more powerful. And then, of course, the state then um, taking away liberties and turning on its own people so that we we saw the deaths of tens of millions of people at the hands of their own governments in the 20th century. And this is something that the youth of today just seem to be oh, just completely oblivious to it, a blase about. It's like, no, if you, if you lose your freedom, you get that 2 a.m. knock on the door and they take daddy away because he wrote something online or he said something online. And we came very near to that in Melbourne with that woman uh, who, who was, you know, wrote that thing on Facebook and then the police rocked up. That, that was the sort of thing I used to worry about happening in China. Now I worry about it happening in Australian Labor states. It's scary. And, and it, is, it isn't a big leap to go from that to what we have in Hong Kong now of you know, the two o'clock knock on the door and people who used to be just ordinary run-of-the-mill democracy activists in a, an advanced, civilised, Western-style city being carted off to jail. It could happen. If it's happening in Hong Kong, it can happen in Sydney or Melbourne. Well, and, and don't forget that this is coinciding with an advance in technology where you've got facial recognition technology um, and, yeah, and... and woven into that is the, the Chinese using this technology to spy on neighbours and, um, and make everyone accountable. Um, so there's actually everything in place to enact a, a totalitarian regime. Um, yeah, it's, people it's would say we're paranoid, say, right? but, I know, get that all the time. Do you get that? Your many friends people, saying you're many paranoid people. or you're, you're worrying too much about it, but I think no, it's... Many, 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 people, many people have said this. I mean, just, just um, look at the... Um, complicity in the population in Melbourne with the, with the lockdown. I mean, it's clear that it, I found that, that 
the the population of Victoria, Melbourne specifically, was uh, too complicit in in that lockdown. Um, yeah. You know, they 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 didn't value their freedom uh, you know, enough. I and and they they almost too obedient of of rules. You know, I spoke to a, a group of sort of twenty year olds, and and their comment was, you know, oh well, rules are rules. Uh, the, the, the least rebellious twenty year olds in the, the history le- of the it's nation. The least, it's the least rebellious, uh, <laughs> you know, group of kids, you know, that, that I think we've ever seen. Um, yeah. So, you know, look, yes, I mean, uh, to go back to your point again, uh, Stalinist Russia. I mean, interestingly, the you know the, the term um, political correctness actually rose out of Stalinist Russia. That's where that term was first used. Um, but but yeah, look, it, it's 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 a it's a it's a scary time, you know, in, and George Orwell in the, in the road to, to Wigan Pier, you know, who spoke about the rise of socialism and, and communism, reflected <clears throat> um, back on how it all started because once these ideas really start to roll out um, and take hold, there is an unstoppable momentum. And he thought, you know, what, what did we do wrong? And his conclusion was that, it needs to be stopped in the early days. It needs to be, it, it needs, you know, people in, in workplaces, you know, when they undergo uh, um, this, this diversity and, and, and equity and, and critical race training at workplaces to stand up and say, no, uh, I, I, will not, I will not tolerate you telling me that I am a racist. I, I am not a racist. I will not tolerate this. If you call me a racist, I will sue you and I will sue this company. No, I will not use the pronoun they. This is a clear manipulation of the language. I will not tolerate it. Uh, I will not get you to say something that I know not to be true. That man is a him and a his. That woman is a she and a her. I know this to be true. I will not call that person they. We need to stand up to these minor transgressions uh, every day in dinner parties, in conversations, we need to stand up to this agenda before it takes hold. Um, I know it's difficult, though, isn't it? I mean, I, I there was a we, got a we had a story on the other day, uh, a few episodes back, um, about a call hotline you can call in the UK for people who are affected by this stuff um, and and want help and advice on how to manage it at work because it is stifling in the workplace and terrifying if you. You know, your transgression can impact your future, particularly with the power granted to the human resources department these days. I've worked inside corporations where the human resources department are effectively parallel management without any expertise in their field other than HR. Um, and it's it's the, the power that they will in terms of being able to sit at the table with the C-suite, with the CEO, with the, with the, the leaders and say, we believe this person is appropriate for that role. This person is not appropriate for that role because they haven't displayed appropriate, um, you know, sensitivity to diversity and inclusion, right? And yeah. and your you go your advancement goes nowhere. I suppose over time the market might take care of that, and and the good talent will go. I don't know why more corporations don't. Oh, Some where, corporations don't advertise the fact that they they don't subscribe to this stuff. There's a competitive advantage to be seized. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 exactly. You know, I, and I, I'd, I'd like to think that um, the movement against this, you know, it has has begun. 
Um, but the concern with with the HR departments is, you know, if if we ever achieve equity, which is technically impossible, but if we ever achieve, you know, something close to, to equity, do you think these uh, salaried for life HR executives on upwards of $300,000 are going to uh, pack up their suitcase, shut down their computer and say, guess what, we've done it. You know, I'm, I'm off to uh, learn a trade now. Get, well done, high fives. No, they're going to keep looking for inequality. They're going to keep looking for, for uh, more and more you know, so-called diversity there, and they're going to keep looking for these so-called racists, you know, and it just will keep, it will, it will perpetuate unless, you know, that businesses, business leaders need to show some leadership here because it's not helping the workplace. You know, you, you've got, um, you've got uh, a, a story came out uh, last year about the, I forget the name of it, but it was the biggest nuclear lab in America where um, for weeks the engineers, the white engineers, had to go undergo critical race training um, and, and, and write down about how they were racist and how they needed to overcome their racism. These are, these are engineers in, in nuclear-powered facilities, you know, and, and they complained that they just wanted to get back to work. You know? um, so, it, 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 you know, when, when, is, when, is, when, when is too equal, you know, and when is too equal? That, that, that's, that's the question. Well, equity and equality, I mean, the whole idea of equity different and equality is, is inherently yeah. unfair, right? Because, you know, obviously some people work better than others, work harder than others, make different choices in life than others around different areas. And so that inequity you see in one part of life might be valid. It might not be that it's it's a, it's a unfair or an imbalance or a wrong, you know, in some yeah. way. Well, um, I need to... What, what do you think we can do, though, Sean? I mean, we, we're at a point where my concern is, firstly, what's happening to our own countries and our own culture and the fact that we might be heading down the path of uh, some pretty horrible stuff like we saw at the beginning of the 20th century. But I'm also worried about the decay of Western society and Western values and norms not being appreciated and that causing division, like you mentioned before, in the United States, you know, practically on the brink of civil war if things don't start to settle down a little bit. The next step from that is China and Russia and, you know, the, the non-free totalitarian countries deciding that, oh, you know, we've got a weak America going on here. Might be time to pop down to Australia and seize a bit of territory or something. Um, what, you know, the geopolitics is, is, a, is another step. And again, I mean, all of this is, yes, it's conjecture, but I don't know how far off in the fantastical future it is, actually. It worries me. Um, uh, what do you think we should be doing? I mean, apart, you mentioned the micro things we should be doing, standing up at work if we can. We have to embrace some courage to do that, I think. Uh, and I think if we do stand up, more and more people will start to stand up. Um, but organising in the same way that the, the, the left have organised this woke thing for centuries, we've got to kind of do the same thing and get organised around the pushback on it. Um, and anything, anything else you see yeah, is, yeah, no, look, is our way look, out of it? Look, uh, I just, I just think um, absolutely. People need to mobilise online. People need to find like-minded people online and start 
and start groups, start Facebook groups, start using social media as, as much as social media is the enemy. It needs to be utilised. Um, people need to start to... Look, the very simple answer is people need to be brave. It is not easy, but that is what you need to do. I mean, the, the overwhelming um, feedback I got from writing that article was... Um, very, very, really brave, very brave, very courageous. Now, what that tells me is the subtext to that is I think it, but I don't have the guts to say it. Now, I'm not saying, you know, um, you know, anyone who speaks up is a hero, but, geez, it's better than the alternative, isn't it, you know? Well, yeah, and it might be harder to speak up eventually. And, what what, and that's, what, did and you, that's what reactions well, did you get? That 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 is the point that Orwell was making. You you need to you need to speak up early, mm. you know. You need to speak mm. up early. And 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 the, the the main the main the here's here's the main point uh, I want to make. Sort of you know an hour in. Um, <clears throat> Martin Luther King, fifty years ago, said that he wants to live his children to live four children to live in a world where they are judged not by the uh, the colour of the skin, but the content of their character. 50 years later, we have effectively reversed that, right? Critical race theory is seeking to reverse that, okay, where they believe that a colourblind society is racist. We, if you don't acknowledge someone's, the, the colour of someone's skin, that is racism because someone, the colour of someone's skin, right, that is their identity, right? That, you are not speaking to a human being effectively, you are speaking to a black person, right? You are speaking to a gay woman. And this is what we, this is what we talk about when we refer to um, identity, identity politics, right? Which is inherently dehumanizing because you are not an individual under those circumstances. You are part of a group identity, right? And in the case of critical race theory, you are uh, not an individual, you are a black person, right? And to not acknowledge that is to be racist. This is disgusting thinking. This is disgraceful. This needs to end now. It is, it is, uh, we need to stand up at, at this as soon and as, as strongly as we can because it is dividing society and it is genuinely concerning. What, what feedback have you had since you wrote the art? Just, just so people know uh, a little bit about, about you, Sean, and your background, you, you, um, you come from a family that has a fairly substantial um, standing and reputation in journalism, in media, and in the arts, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's very interesting the the journey I've taken, um, which we discussed before the call. Um, yeah, I've been left wing all my life, and in fact, many of my sensibilities are still left wing. Um, I believe, um, yeah, that I believe there needs to be a safety net. Um, uh, for those for those less fortunate, you know, I, I, I mean, for example, um, ten percent of the population has an IQ of um, of about ninety, um, and that means that 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 portion of the population find it very difficult to to uh, do anything other than very menial, very simple, repetitive tasks, uh, and they find it very difficult to follow instructions. What are we meant to do? Just like throw these people to the scrap heap? No. Uh, no, and because it is by dint purely of IQ, right, and and which is which is purely genetic, and every single piece of research on this indicates that 
Uh, and that scientists keep testing it and testing it and testing it, and it just keeps coming back to genetics, right? Genetics equals IQ. It's a very uncomfortable fact for people to understand, but that is the case. So what are we meant to do with these people? Just throw them out? No, of course we need to take care of them. You know, what other left-wing sensibilities do I have? Of course I'm not racist. You know, of course I believe women are equally as capable and as intelligent as men they're, they're not as strong as men but apart from that they're of course equally as capable as men you know I, in fact i find the term feminism redundant in fact because it implies that women are somehow uh, uh you know somehow victims um or somehow oppressed when they are as in in fact you know as if not more in many areas uh, capable than men so i'm left-wing in in almost every way but over the last few years, and Jonathan Haidt pinpoints 2013 when he wrote The Coddling of the, uh, of the American Mind, that this sort of cult of victimisation started coming through universities where to be a victim was your identity. And out of that sprung the oppression hierarchy. Um, and out of, you know, and, and then sprung these ideas that we've, that, that we've discussed and they washed through universities to HR to corporations and we've discussed all this. So I started looking um, at the left and, and you know, the moderate left they need to take some responsibility for not nipping in the bud uh, this, this radical thinking and allowing the radical left to completely overtake the left-wing agenda. So I, I like, just like you, have found myself for my entire life on the centre-left and all of a sudden I am centre-right. And the reason I am centre-right comes down to um, it, it, the, the biggest indication of your uh, political leaning is your personality makeup. Um, so your, for example, your um, traits like openness, creativity, these are all things that were typically associated with the left, uh, as in um, yeah, openness and, and freedom of speech, for example, artistic freedom used to be on the left. And you had the authoritarian, um, you can't say that, um, fuddy-duddy right. Well, now that's completely flipped. So yeah, you've got yeah, the, you can't say that from the, from the water. Yeah, so you've got the authoritarian left, Say what we say, what we say. Color in between these lines. Sit down like a good boy. This is what you're meant to say. This is what you can't say. Um, uh, and and you're out. If you say it, you're out of the job. Oh, but there's freedom of speech. You can say whatever you want. But if you do, you cancel. Um, legally, you can say whatever you want. Well, tell, tell you what. It, legally, if you say whatever you want and you lose your job, that is not freedom of speech, and that is what's happening right now throughout almost yeah. every corporation. So that is that is my personal journey. That is why I am now. I used to be sheltering in the centre right. I am now firmly footed in the centre right because it is people from the centre right that are the only ones talking sense in this in this mad world. And the left need to the moderate left need to stand up. Uh, for, for what they know in their bones to be right. And, you know, the people who texted saying, um, who've contacted me saying very brave, you know, everyone and everyone like them. Anyone who find their that, own courage. Anyone who, who read that and thought, um, you know, geez, geez, that's gutsy, needs to, needs to stand up. Yeah, we all I I, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Obviously, I've been through a similar journey and, um, you know, I have a lot of relatives and friends. It took me a long time to decide to do this podcast. Um, and we started it last August. Um, but the number of friends that I've, I don't hear from anymore, the number of uh, 
you know, the stuff that I do here, the attacks that I get, uh, you know, it's just extraordinary. And, um, but I do think it's the minority. I do think it's a noisy. It is unquestionably. Their bark's worse than their bite and we need to stand up to them. Their bark is most certainly not worse than their bark. Their bark means that you will lose your job. You will be socially That's ostracized. Their, their bark, their bark is absolutely, uh, their bark is absolutely frightening. Um, but what the point mm-hmm. you you did make um, it, it initially is is absolutely correct. Um, the statistics on Twitter are, you know, one in five people, twenty percent of the population is actively using Twitter. Of that twenty percent, here's the here's the kicker. Of that twenty percent. Um, 10% of that 20% are responsible for 80% of tweets. So this is a fraction. Just Have you got that? Yeah. 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 So this is a fraction of the population that we are listening to, all of which virtually all literature, the research indicates that virtually all of Twitter is left-leaning. Um, I tend to live in a bit of a right-wing bubble on Twitter or centre right-wing bubble, I like to think, um, yeah. because I've probably annoyed most of the far right with my liberalism, which I have make no excuse for. Far left, um, yeah. But uh, what 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 are the percentages on Twitter? I mean, I'm not familiar with exactly what the if any research has been done on the political persuasions of people who are active. Oh, I believe Twitter. it's about, I believe it's about eighty percent um, left. Left. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just not yeah, seeing but, that because of the but, algorithm, but, I guess. But, but I do go into left wing Twitter occasionally and get terrified out of my wits. I got to tell you by but, what but, I see and read. But the but the key point is. 20% use it. Of that 20%, 10% are responsible for 80% of tweets. The so content. it's a fraction of the population that has this enormous political clout. You know, I mean, brands have got to brands have got to have got to stand up to it and just go, no, they are bullies, right? And and it, it, it's a truism. If you stand up to a bully, they'll go somewhere else. So brands have just got to go, no. No, we won't change the name of our product. We won't, you know, we won't, we won't do what you say. We won't, you know, we won't be dictated to, you know. So as a guy who works in advertising copywriting in Sydney, I mean, that is a pretty woke universe yeah, compared look, to a I, lot I, of Australians. I, I, yeah. As is the PR industry, I know. But but I, I don't want to talk about I, the, the, the companies that I work for or the brands that that I, I work on. But you know, look, it's a it's a woke world, but what what do you want to do? Do you want to Go to your deathbed, just sort of having written ads. I mean, you know, I want to, I want to, I just wanted to do what was right. You know, I wanted to do the right thing. Yeah. Yep. I hear you. I hear you. That's why I, <laughs> I volunteered to do this show, which I um, spend probably too much of my time on for, for nothing. But it's a joy. You know, it's a it's a pleasure to be able to speak to people like you and to. Uh, to actually create and produce something that I uh, I, I actually believe in, and I, I do think we are at an interesting point in culture at the moment. And um, only one side was being heard, and and it is time to to give some space to the other side. Um, Sean, thanks so much, mate, for your time. I really appreciate that. I know you're on holidays and you've taken time out to do this. So uh, yeah, very very grateful for that. I think uh, no problem. Everybody will be very pleased to. Uh, to have heard this interview um, and have heard you speak. Can you just let us know if people want to follow you, um, your social media, if you'd like to give that a plug or anything? No, no you're not on, not no. doing it? Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say I blame you. <laughs> I only do it because i got to. Um, good. Fine. Excellent. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs>
Haven't got a book coming out you want to promote or anything? Uh, uh, no, no. <laughs> might be time for one. Yeah, yeah no, look, it, it, it might actually, yeah, it might. Yeah. Any advice for brands just before we finish, just in terms of yeah, uh, yeah, no, no, as, I, as I said, you say to as a brand, I said, look, the people people are sick of it. You know, pe- people yeah. are sick of work, right? I I promise, you know, brands need to stand up to this. I promise you, yeah, ninety percent of the population is sick of is sick of this nonsense, and they know it's hypocritical. They know behind the scenes what's happening. Yeah, people aren't stupid. Well, now the news. It's all bad and there's no reason to smile. Have you ever noticed that about the news? Because the news is serious. You can't joke all the time, Josh. I beg to differ. If you watch The People's Project, you'll see a lot of smiling. Watch The People's Project, Friday night, 7.30pm. And that was Sean Masters, and that brings us to the end of our first ever full interview episode of The Other Side Australia. I'm hoping to get to Melbourne this week. I certainly uh, hope that I get there by Friday and I can join uh, Matthew Wong in the studio for The People's Project this week. Looking forward to that, so I'd hate to miss out on it because of not so much Victoria, but Queensland's border closures to Victoria or people coming back from Victoria. Um, I don't want to get stuck like I did last time outside my home state, so uh, we'll see how we go. But if I don't make it and I don't see you on Friday on The People's Project, we'll see you back here on the other side. We upload, of course, every Wednesday night around 7.30 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. And uh, please follow us uh, on every platform you can and support the program and do tell your friends about it because it's only through uh, word of mouth and, and you sharing the program that we can hope to grow and continue to do what we do. So uh, we'll see you again, hopefully Friday, if not next Wednesday. Bye for now. Bye.